0: suddenly gone lame or the white folks have finally cobbled your game or worse yet implying that you don't really know that's the same thing they said a long time ago gil scott heron message to the messenger good morning everyone this is the bro diallo broadcast coming to you live at q4 radio q4.org and the large wide in charge world wide web today is Damn. April 3rd, in the year of your Lord 2023, I'm coming straight out of the city of Chirac, state of Illinois, in the United States of America, ca, 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 on the over ravaged, depopulating planet Earth in the misnamed Milky Way galaxy. I'm very happy to be here. um I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. I I feel like I'm I'm losing my voice. Um, I was uh, out in the garden for hours uh, yesterday and uh, Sunday afternoon. And I had to dig this little garden trench and I built a new, uh, one of those um, sheet metal garden bins. I've been seeing them around the city for years and I normally make my garden bins out of uh, wood, reclaimed wood, and I decided to level up and I got me one of them uh, corrugated sheet metal type bins, the coated ones. It looks really nice. It's a lot easier to work with. And when I did it, I thought to myself, damn, what have I been working with this wood and these L brackets? So hopefully this will be the last time in a long long time that I'll have to do that because you know wood is a natural substance and it starts to warp and it starts to erode and and you know it's it's you know I'm just glad to say I'm off the wooden uh garden bin game and now I'm up to the to the metal raised bed gardening so you know I'm going to be planting in that new bin some marigolds some organic uh cucumbers organic tomatoes i said i was gonna maybe plant plant some um my wife won't let me plant carrots this year i said they take too much space and too much but anyway urban gardening urban agriculture grow everywhere all the time so i don't care where you live how congested your city is you should be growing it's therapeutic and i I here telling y'all growing is therapeutic, but I'm a little under the weather this morning. Cause like I said, I was out there in the cold and I went out there and it was like in the fifties. But then, you know, the sun started to set, it got cold. And I put on a jacket, but I woke up this morning like, man, but it's all good. It's all gravy. I'm going to talk for as long as I've, I have a voice. And if I don't, my voice runs out. I can sit here and just play Gil Scott Heron for the rest of the day, which is all right with me. I'd rather listen to Gil than my own voice. So if my voice does go out, we're just going to roll with some uh, um, Gil Scott. Were y'all giving me suggestions? Nastrium to repel pests. Okay, I'm going to write that down here at the top. Now, I don't really. Now, with with gardening, with our old farm, we had a huge farm plot over there at uh, Hales franciscan school they have a huge land plot and we took a section of it to to grow a garden and um we didn't have much problems with pests and we had rabbits and we had squirrels coming through and even some possums but i never really fought off the animals like that because it was enough for everybody it was enough i mean except one time the 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 squirrels we grew corn and they just didn't leave nothing for nobody. But normally our tomatoes, even the watermelons and peaches and stuff, they come there, they take their cut. They 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 tax us. But it was all part. We didn't use, have to use any chemicals or any, you know, strong pest repellents. But there was enough for everybody. But <clears throat> beyond that, um, we haven't had much trouble. But, you know, with this smaller bin, it's less to go around. <laughs> anyway um again forgive my voice i feel like it's coming back within the moment i feel like it's coming back it's going but anyway we started the morning with one of my favorite spoken word performances uh h2o gate all Gil Scott-Heron. h2o gate and um h2o gate blues and message followed up uh his and that was from the winter in america album and then we followed that by I think one of his last among his last studio album spirits uh and on that message to the messenger and message to the messenger was him doing a performance speaking to hip-hop artists of that era the contemporary and you know gil scott heron is very special to me for many reasons one is that he is um he is a uh, conscious artist You know a cultural icon you know who despite his own struggles with addiction his own struggles with uh, his other personal demons man he always made uplifting conscious progressive and revolutionary music for the people and and using a, a genre that i think black people are losing the blues you know one of the earliest genres of music that black people brought to the new world that the african diaspora created and he he stuck to his blues jazz roots and and really but my but not only that not the 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 value the cultural value of his music my with my wife my current wife of, of of uh more than 20 years our very first concert that we not our first date i don't remember what we did on our first date but our very first like concert that we went to was a Gil scott heron concert we went to see Gil Scott Heron perform at SOBs. But even like a decade before I met my wife, I was a student at uh, SUNY Downstate. And I had a friend who was an intern at The Source. She was an intern at Source Magazine. And when I say The Source in 92, it was the powerhouse of hip hop. It was the most powerful media entity in hip-hop culture in the hip-hop industry was the source magazine remember Biggie smiles smiles every time my face is up in the source everybody if it wasn't in the source it wasn't hip-hop everybody every time your artist came out with a new album first thing you would do if you from the 90s hip-hop head golden era hip-hop was run to the source and see how many mics you know it was between one to five mics and you were to see, you know, you'd listen to the album maybe, but you wouldn't even look. A lot of times people wouldn't even buy an album until they got the source review. And all the rappers was like, yo, my album is five mics, and five mics. And they were pretty, at times they, starting out, the source was very fair with its rankings. They had legitimate journalists, legitimate cultural and music critics. And they would give pretty fair rankings in the early days of the source. But then as time went on, the more popular the artist, the more money the artist would put into its marketing, the more advertisement the, the label would buy from the source, that it became, I wouldn't even say political, it became a pay to play thing. So a lot of artists would be who deserved one mic, you know, started getting like three full mics and three mics was, was respectable. If you got less than three, it was respectable. Four mics, it was just, that was just very rare. Five mics, almost impossible. You get one five mic hip-hop classic a generation. Very rare. But towards the end, everybody was getting five mics. Everybody, I don't wanna say no names, I don't wanna hurt no feelings. But anyway, I had a friend who was an intern at The Source. And she took me up in them offices. I'm nineteen years old maybe, still in my teens. And I go in there and the source, everybody would send everything. It was all this merch. You go to the source offices in Manhattan and there was just merch everywhere, piles of uh back then, CDs and cassettes, mountain of CDs and cassettes, t shirts, uh uh promotional stickers, you know, uh um album treatments and movie treatments and there were the interns, a lot of times they would have to sort through this and throw some in the garbage, put and, and give it to the various journalists or the various Stafford's and sort their mail. So I was sitting in the source wait, waiting room and I was only went there because I wanted to hopefully see a rapper. <laughs> I wanted to have a rapper soundy. I didn't see any. It was it was a slow day at the source. And people used to run up in the source and kick in the door and wanting to beat up various people that said some things. You know, It was a wild time. It was good times back then. I'm very happy I was a part of it. But I was sitting in the uh, waiting area before you go into the main offices. And I looked at a trash bin to my right. There was a trash bin to my right. And there was a cassette in there. It was black with red some abstract red design i looked and i pulled it out of the trash and it was gil scott heron's uh spirit cd and even though it was in the trash i didn't want to take anything out of there because i didn't want to be like uninvited the source was notorious for banning people from the offices throwing people out never letting them back and so i went to the sister who's still in the industry man talk about follow your dreams this sister from high school, being a volunteer intern to being a major influencer in the industry to this day. So I'm not gonna say her name. She, cause I don't, number one, I don't want y'all to think I'm name dropping, trying to act like I know somebody, you know? And so I'm not gonna say her name, but I went to her and I say, yo, I'll just say Jay. That's not what I called her, but yo, Jay, can I have this? And she was like, please, it was in the garbage whatever you want any of stuff that pile is all stuff that's going to the to down the incinerator they it wasn't a real incinerator but back then especially in the early 90s in new york they had these trash chutes and back back in the day before the epa regulations the buildings used to have incinerators and you put them down this chute and the and the uh building super would take that trash and just burn it right there in, in new york was wow so it was still for years after they stopped incinerating trash like that, they still called it an incinerator in the large buildings. It was just a trash chute, and they, um, now they, you put it down the chute, and instead of putting it in the, in the apartment I lived in, this huge building I lived in in New York had one, a trash chute, but they bag it up and put it out on the curb and let the, the people haul it off to a landfill, but back in the day, they just burned trash in New York right there. So anyway, she's like, throw it down the incinerator. Shoot. So that's all garbage. So I took that Gil Scott Heron. It was a lot of other shit in there. But I, I that was my very first Gil Scott Heron album that I personally owned. Because I'd been hearing Gil Scott Heron all my life. Because everybody in hip-hop was sampling Gil Scott Heron. Gil, uh, Boogie Now Productions. The government you have elected is inoperative. The day begins with a grin and a pair to excuse my sins. I can walk anywhere I choose, cause everybody listens to the BDP crew. That song, uh, Tribe Called Quest. Everybody I listened to in the early '90s, late '80s, was sampling Gil Scott-Heron. So I was very, and I was a a, a a liner note reader. I get an album, I sit there and read everything. this Who do his credit? So Gil Scott-Heron, I was extremely familiar with it and I didn't know he was still alive let alone he uh was still putting out albums like I said this is 92 maybe 93 and so I took it home popped it in my cassette I just had this boom box I put a cassette in and uh man I played that album over and flipped it played it flipped it played it, played it flipped it played it and I'm like that's it I'm getting everything Gil Scott Heron produces so I ran as soon as I got my little check from the student center at at downstate I I I got my little check and I got on the subway the Manhattan bound two train and I went to uh, uh Broadway in Manhattan where they had Tower Records normally I would go shop at a black owned record store on Flatbush Ave they would hook me up They didn't have no old school Gil Scott Heron. They only had contemporary music. So I got on the train, went to Tower Records, went up to, I think, second, third floor, and there were the Gil Scott Heron CDs. And they were all in Japanese writing. The the album titles, the back, all of it. It was all Japanese writing. I'm like, what is this? So Gil Scott, all of Gil Scott Herons, he was living in Harlem at the time. I didn't know none of this. It wasn't no internet. Now you can just Google your favorite artist and see what they have for breakfast. (laughs) You can see you will really penetrate the lives of the artists nowadays. It wasn't that, it wasn't no internet. If you was lucky, if you had an email address, you was like a nerd, you was way ahead of the game. You know, back then I was still sitting down writing letters home. To my peoples to my homies sitting down handwriting letters and getting postage stamps and mailing that shit but i looked and it was all c the cds all had japanese writing on them i couldn't even read it i just knew it was gil scott from the picture and not only that the discs were like 40 50 and 60 40 50 and 60 dollars i'm like what is this so i asked the the you know the smelly You know, Village Rat that worked, the kind of people that worked at Tower Records back then, like, yo, why is this CD, average CD is maybe $8, $12, maxi CD. Why is this CD $45? And they were like, well, these are Japanese imports. You know, the music, you can't get it here. So we have to bring them over. So that's the markup there's really no US source for Gil Scott Heron music. And back then it was Flying Dutchman label, which was owned by some other label and all that. So Gil Scott Heron wasn't making no money off his music. Gil Scott Heron uh, wasn't making money off his music. He wasn't getting paid and, and, and his, money, his, his materials had changed hands so many times. So I'm like, goddamn! I was expecting to walk up in there buy four, five CDs. I'd get like one CD every other month, and I would go there as soon as I'd save up enough money, you know, and I'd run to 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 Tower Records and buy a cop another CD. But it took a long time. It was painful because I didn't have no money back then. I had no money. Forty dollars, man. That was that was my m- food budget for the whole damn month. So I would set aside money, but anyway, I, I felt it was worth it. And I, every time I would run to tie records and get, now that's changed. Now there's a new American distributor. You can, well, later, years later, you could buy reasonably priced Gil Scott Heron, you know, that's, they got sold off again. And um, then a few, uh, maybe about a year after that um, I saw a flyer, Gil Scott Heron at SOBs and I'm like, damn, so I went to see him and it was everything I expected it would be. And uh Gil Scott was a lot like uh Shayoon is now. It's like fifty percent music and fifty percent lecture commentary, you know. It was it, it was really good. So but it reminded me when I went to see Sheeun perform for the first time, Sheeun Kuti, It was a lot like Gil Scott Heron. Not it's a totally different music genre, totally different stage presence. You know, Gil Scott Heron kept his shirt on. <laughs> You know, and Gil Scott Heron didn't have the beautiful sisters up there dancing. But other than that, but in terms of infusing and injecting social commentary and and, and giving you, you know, in-depth lectures along infused with the music and the rhythms, uh, Gil Scott Heron used to do that. Anyway, um, happy birthday, Gil Scott Heron. Rest in peace, rest in power. Um, To this day, one of my favorite recording artists, um, and one time I, I had actually was like, I started dubbing my Gil Scott Heron material. Cause like I said, it was mad expensive and I'd give it to my friends. And then I started burning CDs. I got me one of these little desktop CD burners. And one day I was, uh, in a booth and I had a bunch of Gil Scott Heron CDs and, uh, Brian, I ran into Brian Jackson. Brian Jackson, which was a long time. If you know Gil Scott Heron, you know Brian Jackson. Wouldn't be no Gil Scott Heron without Brian Jackson. Those collaborations between Brian Jackson and Gil Scott Heron are timeless. But I met Brian Jackson. And I was had these CDs and I was giving them out to people. And 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 uh some sister came over, it's like, you got Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson CDs. I'm like, I sure do, sis. Get you one. And uh she was like, ah, oh, I'm telling on you. And she ran across this field and got Brian Jackson and brought him over. It was like, look, this brother's uh, 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 selling your materials. And, and, and uh, Brian Jackson looked, he looked over the titles and he was like, mm, keep doing what you're doing, brother. I actually appreciate this, getting this stuff out, you know, to, to the young people and getting. So he gave me his uh, approval and then, but I also had like John Henry Clark, Professor Mackey, and I had all these other lectures. It was I had mostly, I would replicate and sell lectures and, and, and debates, you know, great African scholars. And uh, he went ahead and collected a few. And of course I'm like, I can't take any money. He, and he took uh, uh, several lectures and, and, and a couple of documentaries I had available on African history and, and, and the movements and the struggles. So I did get to meet and speak to uh, Brian Jackson. This is all years and years ago. This is over a decade ago. You know, because my son, I remember I used to go out to these festivals and my little son be running under tables and between people's tents, and he was a he was still in diapers. Where and now he's in college. So this is a minute ago, and uh, so it was a good time. I got to meet Brian Jackson, who, you know. Uh, Again, you can't say Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. um, But I never really got a chance to interact. I I saw him in person. But Gil Scott Heron, if you ever went to a Gil Scott Heron, he would come late and leave early. So it wasn't much opportunities for the audience to interact with him. (laughs) And I didn't mind. I would sit there waiting hours for Gil Scott. He was was doing the Lauryn Hill thing long before Lauryn Hill. But like I said, he made it worth the wait. So i never complained i was never upset and he'd be coming in on the train his whole band be sitting up there the the midnight band and they'd be sitting there and gil scott would get off the subway walk up the stairs walk in the venue like a, like he's a patron come through the main entrance and get up walk straight on stage do his thing get on them keys spit them verses and then you know go to the bar get a couple of comp drinks and hop out leave the front through the front door get on the subway. <laughs> that was a wild dude. But anyway, gosh, don't get me talking about reminiscing. When I reminisce over you. <laughs> you know, okay, this is uh, Bro Diallo's show. But April 1st is Gil Scott's birthday. He was born on April Fool's Day. And Gil Scott was fond of saying, uh, I was born on April's Fool's Day, but I'm nobody's fool. So... Around April first, I always get to reminiscing about Gil Scott. Anyway, shout out to Gil Scott. Let's move on. I have to skip some stuff. God damn. Anyway, the United States is—you uh, know what's weird—where what they were talking about now, the United States is seeing that its sanctions against Russia aren't working. But sanctions have never worked, and now the United States is going to Africa and going to China, saying, "Listen." Do you want to do business with Russia or you want to do business with me? The United States is sending its diplomats and ambassadors. Do you really want him or do you really want me? Remember that song, him, me, him, me. So the United States is putting on this glitter R&B suit, conking back their hair, and they're doing that routine all over the world. Him, you got to choose. Unlike some old sick, sick R&B dude. And so they're going to China, and China's like, listen, you know, we selling refrigerators, we selling bags of rice, we ain't we ain't giving them superconductors, we not we not selling them weapons grade uh, materials, microchips, weaponized microchips. But then the United States is finding out that they actually are. They'll like put the superconductors inside the refrigerators and then sell uh, Russia a whole. Uh, A freighter load of refrigerators and they take the refrigerators into the laboratories and take them apart, take them apart and then make guidance systems for missiles and shit. So the United States is like, we're going to redouble our efforts to, 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 and I, what I hate about is how language is sanitized. You know, they're calling this sanctions. And a sanction is a is a confusing word. Because sanction can mean you approve of something, I sanction this. You know, it's a short word for sanctuary. So it means it's a threatened penalty and it's official permission. Isn't that a weird word, sanction? I can say, listen, I sanctioned the Pan African Revolution. That means I fully support and give my uh, uh, full solidarity with that. It's approval, but it also means penalty. This is a stupid ass a fucking barbarian language. <laughs> so the United States is, oh, we're going to sanction Russia. They really should call it like a blockade. They should call it. They used to call it embargo or the trade embargo. But that means it's an ugly word. This is how they do you. They would say, well, we're going to create a, an embargo against Cuba. But before they called it embargo, they called it a blockade. We're going to create a blockade around this country. We're not going to let anything out or let anything in. And you see how they're doing, you know, used to do that shit, Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan would roll up on a, a village, roll up on a kingdom, surround the kingdom and said, anybody come out, we're going to cut your head off. And anybody, any merchants, anybody try to bring anything in, we're going to kill them, too. Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. Genghis Khan used to do that shit. And they would call it a blockade. But really, back then, they call it starving out. We would starve out our enemies. Starvation as a weaponized starvation. And it's just funny to me how they go from okay we're going to create a blockade, we're going to do an embargo, but now we're going to sanction Russia. And we all just sit here while our the United States this is a, not a tactic of just people like well this is a uh, act of war, this is a war. They, no, this is an act of genocide. They had more 20 years of sanctions against Um, Iraq. More than 60 years of sanctions against Cuba. And I'm going to stop using the word sanction. I'm going to say blockade. Embargo. And they just, it's just wild to me. I mean, I just, I'm against it. I oppose it. It's illegal and it has never worked. The United States will literally sit here and have its own operatives, have its own agencies, the United Nations and other humanitarian bodies will sit there and say the sanctions aren't working. The only people suffering from the sanctions, I keep here I am. The only people suffer, but that's the language they use. Cuz if I say blockade, you might think I'm talking about something else. But it's all the same thing. And they're going to after another decade or two of imposing sanctions around the world, starving people out. They're going to come up with a different word. And we're going to start using that word and all the meaning and all the gravity of the the act is going to be removed because we change it. We love using sanitized words for white people's atrocities. Privilege, supreme. Gentrification. Now if gentrification is happening in a country the United States is against. It's called ethnic cleansing. Displacement. Oh, they're just building communities in, 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 in Gaza, the West Bank. The country of Israel is just building little communities, expanding little communities. No, they're, they're displacing, genocide. Who y'all think y'all fooling? But I guess everybody. So the United States is sanctioning Russia, sanctioning Cuba, sanctioning North Korea. And the leaders in North Korea ain't missed a meal even though their citizens right now are on the brink of starvation, massive hunger, massive malnutrition. You know, people in North Korea to a person are almost a foot shorter than their brothers and sisters in South Korea due to sanctions being starved out. Uh, uh, um, The Gaza Strip, the West Bank is being sanctioned by the United States because there ain't no Israel. There's no such thing as Israel. Israel is the 51st state. It is a proxy state of the United States government. And it's so funny, people believe Israel runs America (laughs) as opposed to the other way around. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so this is just like one of the most horrendous and, and, and cowardly acts a nation can do. In Iraq, in Afghanistan, they um, would bar medicines. They would bar insulin. And you know, Iraq had high rates of birth defects because of the biochemical warfare that the United States used, the, 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 the depleted uranium that they dumped all over that country. Just like in Vietnam, they had high rates. They were starving people out. That's why they had the Ho Chi Minh Trail to bring in food. They tried to starve people out. And you think starvation is an international war crime. And that's something, like I said, people who think of, oh, Genghis Khan did that. Hitler did that. Hitler would blockade. He was very fond of doing blockades and starving out his enemies before attack, initiating a blitzkrieg. United States to this day is using starvation, not even as a war tactic, because it is proven. It is proven that sanctions, North Korean leaders, the North Korean oligarchs are living fat. They got sanctions against Venezuela. Why, You know, these goddamn uh, uh, imperialists love to say capitalism is the only system that works. Socialism doesn't work. Socialism is a fantasy. Socialism is utopia. But then why are you sanctioning socialist countries? Just step back and let them fail. Ain't they say, what is the best revenge is living well. Why are you harassing Cuba? Why did you invade Grenada? Why did you un- undermine the Lava Loss movement in Haiti? Why are you currently sanctioning uh, uh, Venezuela? If socialism doesn't work and your enemy starts down a path. If your enemy starts down a path that's going to cause them to crumble, why stop them? Why stop them? If if, if, if socialism doesn't work and then your enemy says, well, we're going to have a socialist economy, you know, like, oh, great. I could just step back. I could take my hands off. You're never going to make it. I could back it on up. But the problem is socialism does work. And so if they allow a country to freely engage with socialist economic development, socialist economic practice, what will happen is the neighboring countries, Jamaica will look at Cuba, Trinidad will look at Cuba, Panama will look at Cuba and be like, damn, healthcare, schools, clean environment, people free and healthy and got an abundance. The resources are justly and equitably distributed amongst the people. I want to do that. That's why the United States can say this is our bitter bloody enemy and they're implementing a system that we claim will absolutely fail. So you want to save your enemy? Why are you fighting against communism and socialism if it doesn't work? If I had an enemy that was going to engage in a system that is guaranteed to fail, I'm going to get out their way if I don't help them. But the problem is they know socialism works and they know that if socialism was freely allowed to be developed, to be implemented, to be spread, people will volunteer and sign up for socialism and reject capitalism that day. They can't afford a good example. So the United States imposes blockades, embargoes, sanctions, and sabotage It's not even enough. Because a lot of times when the United States says, well, we're gonna put up an embargo, we're gonna starve you out. They were like, fine, we'll produce independently and internally. So they don't just do that. They send in the jackals. They CNN the operatives. They start to pay Uncle Thompson sellouts within those spaces, the gangs, the gangs. And they will funnel money and weapons to, 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 to right wing fas- factions. So it's not even enough to say we're going to cut you off. We're going to cut you down. And then they turn around after all these machinations, after all this illegal imperialist s- sabotage and subversion, they turn around and be like, see, the chaos that capitalism, uh, that socialism causes. You see? You know, it's weird. Socialism is like a bomb magnet. Every time a country goes socialist, it seems like bombs get attracted. It is a starvation tactic. The only people that suffer are the the children, the poor, the working class people, the rank and file members of the society are the only people that suffer. The elites often get stronger. Because when people start starving, when people have less and less, they start looking to the higher power and they look to the church and they look to the government. So the very government you were trying to topple with your sanction becomes more powerful and increases. And not that I'm trying to say, well, I'm mad at sanction because it's ineffective in overthrowing governments because the United States has no legal or moral or political justification for overthrowing anyone's government. but I digress. All I'm saying is before we do anything else, can we stop using this sanitized language? We should stop using this sanitized language for the atrocities that this country does. And it's weird black people, cause we'll sit here and watch the United States go all over the world and commit genocide and uh, genocidal atrocities all over the world. And we sit here, cozy in the United States. And i say it every time it crosses my mind. If you see your nation, if you see your leaders, if you see the elites doing something abroad, it always comes home. That's just how atrocities and crimes work. If you're out in the world doing abuse, you will do abuse at home now we grasp that when the cops, the high rate of domestic violence, cops run through the black community all day, seven days a week on the clock. Beating, harassing, demeaning and dehumanizing members of our community. And those same cops go home with their blonde hair, blue eyed, white and kick the shit out of their wives because the mind just can't shut off. There's, we are biological evolved beings. And it's very hard for us to be one way, then another way. So if you got a job where you're abusing and, and, and degrading people in the world, you're more often than not going to do that shit at home. And it's the same way with the government. We think we safe in this country. We got black people, whole movements, whole black movements based around not solidarity with the world, the victims of U.S. embargoes. The, US of US, the victims of U.S. blockades. I'm going to stop saying sanctions. I'm going to stop every time I think I stop saying white privilege, I say white pathology. I stop saying white supremacist, white supreme. I say white aggressor. I stop saying white global, white supremacy. I say white hegemony, white domination. I'm going to stop using sanitized language for white people's atrocities. I'm going to stop it. So white embargoes, white blockades, U.S. blockades, if they will do it abroad, they will do it here. And they've done it here. They might call it something different. Oh, redlining districts. They ain't redlining, it's an economic blockade. It's an economic embargo, an internal economic embargo against the black community, economic crimes saying gentrification that's ethnic cleansing when a population is priced out forced out pushed out out of a particular place that is ethnic cleansing when it happens in bosnia when it happens in brooklyn oh it's gentrification which is a good word gentry means to improve to make it better to make it beautiful and i've been to brooklyn i'm going to brooklyn this week it's not better I was in Brooklyn in the 80s and 90s, Nostrand Ave, Utica Ave, Church Ave, when black people, I was in Harlem, and the African diaspora, the immigrants and the black Americans, we was there making communities, and it was beautiful. That shit is cold and stark and sanitized now. It ain't gentrified. It's stripped. It's hollowed out cookie cutter IKEA shit all over the New York City and literally you go to New York City in 1992 you could literally travel the entire black world walking one block you start one in the Flatbush you you got uh, the, the African, you got hip-hop, you got jazz, you got the blues, you go a little further, you got Caribbean, sounds of Haiti. By the time you hit Prospect Park, you in the Caribbean, Central America, Afro-Cuban, Afro-Panamanian, you go a little further, you, you, you across the African continent, Kenyans, Cameroon, you could go to New York City and get the full black experience. Everything from 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 shake down the walls, Black Baptist Church, Holy Ghost Church to Vodun rituals, Akan, Yoruba these magnificent ancestral and orisha shrines. I'm telling you, you could be everywhere from Grimy Buck Buck Throw your guns in the air, backpack, headphones, to the some of the most sophisticated, highly educated, starch collar, uh, academic Negroes. You can literally in the same day, go from a cypher, a hip hop battle, to go to a high level scholarly African lecture. Dr. Ben, Professor Mackey, John Henry Clark, I've done that in the same day. I would spend an afternoon you could go listen to 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 a comedy performance by uh, Dick Gregory at the Billy Holiday Theater, and then later that night go to an album release party by some local up and coming talent that's gonna take over the world. That was the New York City that we lost in gentrification. It ain't just oh white people move here, and now there's a bunch of uh uh um bodegas and or or have to throw the cats out that's genocide they destroyed a vibrant cultural ecosystem that is lost you you we don't even know what we lost because we take it for granted a fish don't know the pond is being drained until it's the water level is so low that they can't swim no more i remember the first time i was like a fifth grader when i visited new york and i'm like i gotta live here I gotta move here. And within eight weeks of graduating high school, I had packed up everything, kissed my grandma on the forehead, and I was out. And I even saw back then what they were doing in New York City. When 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 when, when, when the black mayor Dinkins got kicked out of all uh, they about to do the same shit here. Vallis is gonna be a repeat. If you wanna see if uh, Paul Vallis get elected as mayor of Chicago, go back to the 90s when Giuliani uh, uh, got elected on the hills of Dinkins and these punk ass black Democrats, these punk ass black mayors that are afraid to be progressive, these fence riding coon ass black public officials that won't go full progressive. They try to ride the fence and appease these racists which is just what Obama did. Obama paved the way for the fascist Trump. Dinkins paved the way cause he soft pedaled progressive. He paved the way for the fascist Giuliani and old Lori Lightfoot on our neck, roll out the red carpet for Paul Vallis. Y'all better not let that cracker get in there. In fact, today I'm voting early. Cause I got too much to do. I'm going as soon as I get home, I got to meet with my wife at noon. I got a date, this hot chick. <laughs> I got a lunch date with this hot chick. Let me stop playing. I got to meet with my wife at noon. We going to get some lunch. Then we going to pick up my son, my 18-year-old son, go and grab him by the ear and drag him. We all going to the polls to vote for Brandon Johnson. But We lost a lot with that ethnic cleansing of New York City we lost one of the greatest cultural incubators African people had ever created outside the continent of our mother continent. It's gone. And maybe it's there. Maybe I've just aged out and maybe somewhere in little pockets, but you didn't used to have to look for it. It it would find you, but maybe it's still there in little pockets around New York city. I still know some people that ain't gave up on New York city, but I remember back in, in, um, in the era of the boom poetics, the vibe chameleons. And I was like, listen, white folks ain't gonna let this flourish. We need to consolidate power. There's a lot of beautiful culture here. There's a beautiful aesthetic. There's a lot of grand ideas, but we are not implementing these ideas. We are not institutionalizing these ideas. And how you got some of the hardest cats, Brooklyn hard rocks, all these and and how you get your community taken over by Pilates instructors. How do hood cats get driven out by Pilates instructors? Cultural appropriating Buddhist, white Buddhist. But I digress. It ain't that simple. I know, I, ain't, I know. They the real gangsters. Let's move on. Y'all ready for the, the oh, Kamala's in, mm, Kamala's in Africa. Kamala's in Africa to facilitate private investment. Throwing crumbs around. She promised over for the uh, the uh, African Union's 2063 project to, to give fifty five uh, billion dollars to the continent of Africa. And over the same period of time, they've given over two hundred and thirty eight billion dollars to the country of Israel. And and Africans are dancing and giving up resources. Man, I, ain't, I can't talk about Kamala in Africa shame on all y'all shame on us all shame on us all oh trojan horse kamala trojan horse harris that's her new name but she that's a she's job man that's that's her job Talking about New York was the epicenter. Yes, I know New York was the Empire State. I know Wall Street. I'm talking about the Black community, and there was a Black community in Chicago, in New York City. White folks did what they did. You know they do that everywhere. The whole planet is an epicenter of white ra- racial capitalism. You can't tell me that culture wasn't there. You can't tell me the the, 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 the they birthed hip hop. You can't talk about the the reggae. The dance hall of the 90s, the sound system, sound clash all up in Queens, please don't deny it. Of course, white folks do what they do, and we do what we do. Like uh, like our ancestors, what do you say? Making something out of nothing. Africa is inside me. What happened to Arrested Development? I loved Arrested Development, even when they was getting Grammys and selling out. I loved them. And then I turn around and Speech from Arrested Development is on here, you know, trying to sell the community Jesus. Y'all didn't heard about that, right? He's gone full Jesus. The guy who wrote Fishing for Religion. The guy who said the government's happy with most Baptist churches because they don't do a damn thing to try to nurture. Brothers and sisters want a revolution. Baptist teaching dying is the only solution. How the man who wrote Fishing for a Religion is now a full-fledged evangelical Christian. Where do you get that from? Just breaks my heart. What is happening here? But I ain't giving up on him. Speech from Arrested Development didn't give up on me. He didn't know me. <laughs> but I felt like he was making those albums for me. Even his solo albums. I felt like he was making those albums for me. So speech didn't give up on me. I ain't going to give up on speech. So every time I get to, to to call out his his lunacy, I try. I send speech messages. <laughs> like I'm gonna stand writing him letters. Maybe he make a song about trying to tell him, get off the swine, Get off the Jesus speech. But shout out to speech. He's still out there helping people running a little music institute. And uh, he's still doing his thing. If he came to town to perform, I'd go see him. I would definitely go and uh, see the show. But, I, you know, y'all reach out. If y'all know speech from Arrest Development, tell him, get off that. What is going on? You know, that's my second. You know, Karis One went full, put out a full-on Christian album. Karis One put out a full spiritual-minded. And you know how I do krs one drop an album i'm grabbing it i don't care boogie down productions krs1 he go from bdp to q he goes solo he put it out i buy it i don't care i don't no questions asked but a few years ago he dropped that spiritually minded album i didn't ask no questions i went to the record store and it was in the gospel section and i'm like man they changing my store around i go grab the spiritual minded cd and it was a full-on christian album and then he had an album. I went back and listened to his other album. This shit blew my mind. Because I'm like, damn. Uh, KRS-One put out a Christian album. But then I figured out he had been putting out Christian albums for years. Because he had an album called The Sneak Attack. He had an album called sneak attack and i'm like oh shit so i went back and would listen to his old albums after hearing spiritual minded and i'm like goddamn he been putting out christian albums for years and here i am looking mighty like chuck d said you look looking mighty stupid while you're shaking your ass i was looking mighty stupid while i was shaking my ass and i had to demote krs1 people talking about bambada this is before bambada chris Karis one broke my heart long he took that y'all just figured out Karis one was on some bullshit when it came to Bambada no 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 he was I figured out he was on some bullshit a full decade or more before that y'all late I'm not the one who's late don't be coming to tell I was already I wasn't surprised by Bambada because I had already back in 2000 2001 I'm like man I didn't lost another dude I really, I need one of them songs. What's that song, my homies? I need to start drinking malt liquor. I'm going to start drinking malt liquor for the specific purpose of pulling out, not for my dead homies, but for my brain dead homies. I'm going to start pulling a little. I don't drink beer. I drink red wine a couple of times a week. I'm going to have to tell my wife. She's going to get mad at me. I'm like, when you open the bottle, hand it to me so I can pull out a little for my brain dead homies. KRS-One. Gotta pour out a little for my brain-dead homies. Speech. Pour out a little for my brain dead homies. That's I just have to, we need to start that. Forget pouring out liquor for your homies. Pour out liquors for your brain-dead homies that didn't just went off the plantation. Breaking my heart. Just letting me down. But I got, I still got, there's a lot of artists that have not let me down. That's still on a square. Now, I find out Dead Prez is working with Cuddly Mike. He's no longer Killer Mike, y'all. It's Cuddly Mike. You can't be Killer Mike sitting on stage with white capitalist old white men sitting between sandwiched between two old white men like an overcooked thick burger on white bread. Killer Mike sitting between two old white men skinning his teeth. You ain't no killer. You Cuddly Mike. And I used to like Cuddly Mike, too. That song, Reagan, I bump Reagan to this day. You know, I got my house cleaning music. I got my house cleaning music. And I I and Cuddly Mike was was in rotation. But I can't mess with Cuddly Mike no more. You're not killer. You pro-capitalist doing NRA commercials. White folks ain't scared of you. Ain't nobody scared of you. So Cuddly Mike, I just, I can't. Let me get off this, this music. It's just heartbreak after heartbreak. Heartbreak after heartbreak. Pain on top of pain. In the membrane. This is the Bro Diallo show. I have skipped over everything. I was supposed to talk about the indictment. I, I wanted to talk about the the, 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 the the trans hysteria. They got a transgender uh, mass shooter in Tennessee. This dude who was transgender went in, he went in and shot this school up. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, the right wing, the Republicans, Fox News, they want to disarm transgender people. (laughs) Transgenders are shooting us up. Now, since the recording of mass shooting, the era, this is the mass shooting era, there have been over 2,000, more than two. I stopped counting at 2,000. Who wants to count above 1,000? I'm not no nerd, but there have been over 2,000 mass shootings carried out by six cisgendered heterosexual men. And in that same span of time where there have been 2,000, I didn't know it was this many. There'd be mass shootings that just don't even come up on the radar anymore. It's background noise. There have been over 2,000 mass shooters. I think it was closer to like 2,300, 2,500 mass, I'm going to just stop at 2,000 mass shootings by cisgendered heterosexual men. In that same time frame, there have been three out of two thousand three. Mass shootings carried out by people who identify as transgender or gender non conforming, gender queer individuals. Three out of 2,000. And these motherfuckers got the nerve to want to act like this is a trend. Oh, the transgender people, they're coming after us, they're killing us. And they think this is a license to start misgendering. This is validation for, 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 for taking away the civil and human rights, denying uh, gender affirming care, repression, repealing gay marriage. These three shootings out of 10,000, like I'm all for, listen, if somebody commits a mass shooting, let's examine, if we're gonna examine their sexuality, their gender identity, their politics, their religion, Christian terrorist. I'm all for it, but we gotta do it for everybody. Let's do it for everybody. Why, when is it just uh, uh, the person's religion is only relevant when they do some uh, atrocity if they're Muslim, Muslim extremist Ain't heard the word Christian extremist nowhere. So, yeah, don't just wait for it to be uh, a member of the LGBTQ plus community. Don't wait for it to be a Muslim. Let's, let's call it out every time. Let's, every headline, tell the, the, the political affiliation, uh, gender identity, sexuality of everybody who commits a mass shooting. And guess what you about to find out? It's our side that's doing it. So when you take an incidence where 2,000 of the people are in one camp and three of the people are in another camp, that's a that's a rounding error. But they really running with this shit. It's, it's, the bugger got no shame. The bugger got no shame i thought i was losing my voice i am Oof, this is not pleasant i think if i take this scarf off i'll just collapse (laughs) this is the only thing holding me together y'all if you're listening on the radio q4 radio q4.org if you're listening on the radio i got me a scarf on i don't normally sit here in a scarf i'm not trying to be fly i'm not trying to be vain i'm not trying to stunt on y'all this is the only thing holding me together the only thing that is giving me any type of, because not feeling well. I don't know. I guess I go home, get some of that bush medicine. My wife cooked me up and stirred me up some more herbal concoctions, more practicing medicine without a license. Anyway, where are we at? I wanted to talk about this mass shootings and the gender hypocrisy and the gender politics. I wanted to talk about the Missouri, but I ain't got time. Maybe I'll come back to that. Or maybe let's just stop here and listen to some Gil Scott Heron records. You know, I put on some green tea, lighted incense, and a couple of candles, and we all kick back and listen to some blues. Wouldn't wouldn't that make a better morning? Y'all, no, we gonna keep going? Let's keep going. I'm depressing myself. I got a depressing topic today. You know, There's massive die-offs in the ocean again. Algae blooms all over the world. Fish, dead fish are uh, popping up. But we got to get to the topic because it's at the top of the hour. So a lot of stuff I wanted to cover. Oh, I got to say this. (laughs) And then we get to the topic. Erica Badu is taking credit for Stay Woke. Erykah Badu. Y'all know who Erykah Badu is? Good friend of uh, R. Kelly. R. Kelly's best friend. Uh, she, uh... She, um Taking credit. She's sitting on MSNBC. Talking about, yes, I started Woke. I had an f- album that said Stay Woke. But I, I was gonna go off, but people was on that shit. Everybody was on it. I don't even have to say nothing. But, I mean, again... If so, if if a black person is hustling white people, you supposed to let them do it. So if if R Kelly, I mean R Kelly, R Kelly's good friend, if Erica Badu can go to white folks and convince white liberals that she started woke, that she is the founder of woke, let her do it. Now, if you see me scamming white folks, don't say nothing. I'm trying to get my personal reparations. So I promise you. Now, at first I was like, how dare she? Just for preservation of history, the preservation of black consciousness and culture for the culture. I'm like, we can't let Erica Badu run out here and tell anybody. But then when I looked on Twitter, when I looked at people, everybody, all these black people, even young black people. They were like, oh, no, Erica Badu, Woke been around long before you. And everybody was giving their examples that predate Erica Badu. You didn't found Woke. You ain't the embodiment of Woke. And really, you are a mockery of the very concept of Wokeness. Because she went on MSNBC. Now, let her go talk. Now, I just know she can't come to the hood. She can't come to the community with that. But if she want to go to MSNBC and she can invent, convince these white liberals, these neoliberals, These white folks that she's Miss Woke and she started Woke and she can get something off of white folks for that. I guess we can leave her alone as long as the hood, as long as the community got the record straight. But it was really obscene because she sat there. And so the white man that was interviewing her on MSNBC was like, you are the founder of Woke. What does it mean? And she said, Woke means being at one with nature. She said the most asinine, but again, she lying to white folks. Am I supposed to fight for white folks? That ain't my responsibility. If she's over there scamming white folks, it's not my responsibility to protect gullible white liberals from Erica Badu. And if white liberals want to walk around talking about, yes, the mother of wokeness, Erica Badu, that's white folks' business. All I know is the hood understands. The hood sees the scam and the hood ain't falling for it. The hood called her out. So I'm good. If the hood's good, I'm good. We hood good. So I ain't even going to say nothing else about it. It wasn't funny, but that was a good one. I need to go tell white folks something. Go make up some grand lie. I am the father of Pan-Africanism and go on Democracy Now. Yes, I am the founder and the godfather of Pan-Africanism. What does Pan-Africanism mean? Oh, it means eat vegan. (laughs) Give me some money, Amy Goodman. Give me some money, white folks. (laughs) Yeah, okay. But I guess, congratulations, black communities. We got something right. Anyway, let's talk about the topic of the day. <clears throat> it's called Confronting Massage Noir. And the reason I wanted to talk about Confronting Massage Noir, because I have so many shows talking about black men and, 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 and uh, black men's struggles, black men, and, and this and that. But, you know, I, I personally, I personally, in my personal relationships, talking to people face to face, have been bombarded by massage noir. Now, um, <clears throat> massage noir, now, I'm speaking as a person who held to and had to work over years to dissuade myself, to purge sexist positions and attitudes from my own point of view. I know sexism was real because I was a dyed in the wool, old school sexist. Now, you know, of course, it ain't my fault. I'm a man, ain't get nothing my fault. Oh, it ain't my fault. Did I do that? It wasn't my fault. But I was a full-on sexist. Now, I was never massage noir because, you know, I was raised by my mama, my grandma, my aunties, my big sister. But when I started to ex- be exposed to massage noir very early on, very early on, And I would see it, it would blow my mind, but hypocritically, I'd just be like, man, we just gotta be sexist, not just massage. So anyway, it's a very real thing, but I've been running into it. Like I have this one dude, he called me gynocentric. I have this one dude who's revolutionary Pan-Africanist, scholar-secular, and he sends me these, any type of demeaning or negative headline that he finds against black women, he sends, he, he, he DMs me, you know, mother abuses child, mother kills child, woman shoots boyfriend on Instagram live. Any type of story that depicts a black woman engaged in some type of criminal or corrupt action, he sends it to me. And I asked him, why are you sending me this? Now, he doesn't answer directly. Maybe I should have him on the show. I think he will come on. Because he believes that I'm gynocentric and by gynocentric, he believes that my I don't have adequate hostility an adequate negative attitude about black women that I refuse to acknowledge. How bad black women are and the threat that black women pose to me as a black man, to black men in general and to the black community as a whole, that I don't acknowledge the ongoing harm that black women do and the threat that they pose to us. And because I won't acknowledge that, he wants to send me these articles. I uh, I should get my phone and pull them up. Like, and I asked him, "Why are you sending me this? What do you want me to do? This is tragic. It's sad. What do you want me to do? What is you What is this communicating? So, being and and for I, a couple of during the uh, most recent election. I was attacking or criticizing many icons. Like Ice Cube came up with this contract on Black America. And I was, started criticizing Ice Cube, and I started criticizing Kevin Samuels, and I started criticizing the irritated genie, and I started criticizing, and it wasn't even for their misogyny. I was talking about, you know, the scams and, and the reactionary politics. It wasn't even, but I started getting a lot of engagement with the black manosphere. Dudes that would attack me and say, I wear skinny jeans. <laughs> You know, I was invited to 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 a debate where I was supposed to speak on behalf and in support of the gay community and debate some guy uh, uh, who was speaking against. And I'm like, but I'm not gay. What do you want from me? So it was I was entering this weird space. Normally, I'm used to bumping heads with like the theological cats, the Muslim cats, the Christian cats, the spiritual cats due to my atheism, these 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 bone suckers, these these meat these animal excretion consumers, the meat eaters because of my veganism, you know, more black conservatives. I was very accustomed to going on with these ideological conflicts and debates from all across the spectrum. But one debate I just wasn't really into was this whole alpha male, massage noir, manosphere type shit. I just was kind of not in it. But I noticed it because I would write up criticisms of feminism. I would write up these criticisms uh, and critiques of feminism. But from the point of view, like I said, if you want to criticize something, you have to come from the leftist criticism. If you have a centrist or right-wing critique, you're the bad guy. So I don't care if it's the Democratic Party, the feminist movement, or any other type of liberal or or, or progressive um ideology or movement you have to criticize it from the left if you're not further left than what you're criticizing you're the bad guy not what you're criticizing but anyway i would and the sexes would all come out they would all come out yeah man and and acting like i'm i'm like whoa and i even y'all if you notice if you follow me if you follow my blog or whatever you notice i don't write about feminism anymore Because even though I do have some critiques of feminism. I acknowledge first and foremost that sexism is real. Gender based oppression is real. And which is relatively old phenomenon, but a new term to me, massage noir, it's all real. I acknowledge that these are real things that are that must be confronted. See, yeah, somebody talking about veganism sounds like a cult. Now that's the debates I'm used to having. That's the throwdown I I'm used to having. You know, people who don't understand what a cult is gonna call anything they don't like a cult. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. <clears throat> um, so anyway, it was just a weird space that I see and I watch it evolve. That Sotomayor, before Sotomayor came out as full coon, and I would be like, How does this guy have a platform? How can this guy just maneuver through the black community? And then Tariq Nasheed will come out and say shit, and he ma- maintains an audience. You know, uh, Brother Polite was arrested and charged with raping an underage, underage girl, and this dude's still out here supporting him. You know, Corey Holcomb is starting a movement to free R. Kelly or some crazy shit. And Bill Cosby. Everybody, all these brothers claiming that Bill Cosby was on the cusp of doing some grand act on behalf of black people. And that's why he uh, is being taken down by the system as opposed to him being a self-admitted predator. I'm like, shit is crazy and it's only getting worse. So, in confronting mas- massage noir, I think the first thing we should do is define what massage noir is. And based on the evidence, because the first comment, first thing I was confronted with when I posted this that I w- wanted to just talk about massage noir, somebody called me a simp. I've been called a simp so much. I prefer gynocentric, it's more sophisticated, more syllables, which means it's a more intellectual word so instead of calling me a simp, call me gynocentric (laughs) because that's what the dude that sends me all the the black woman horror articles called me said that i'm gynocentric i take the side of women too much (laughs) and so anyway um in confronting massage noir first what is massage noir it's simple it's a convergence this system that we live in is racist and i think most black people with half a brain. If you're not Candace Owens or that level of sickness, if you're not Kanye, Kunye West, Kanye, you will acknowledge that the United States in its culture and its economy and its governance and its history is racist. Every element racism infuses and dominates every interaction of this society. So, it is racist the system is also patriarchal it just is a textbook definition patriarchal society you know and and, and these things i can't really go into it you know it's a christian society it's, it's dominated by by judeo christian and so judeo christian is a aggressively unapologetically uh, Christian, it's patriarchal and it is sexist. It's sexist. It's sexist. So if you are black in this society and non male in this society, you are subjected to what I have come to call compounding oppression. Compounding oppression is when you are at the intersections of several institutional oppressions. There are certain institutional race, ability, like this is an ableist society. Hell, damn near a, a uh, Malthusian level of ableism. It is an ableist society. It is a classist society. So if you are disabled, black, poor, uh, queer, or gay, or transgender, uh, if you identified as female, or feminine. It, and, and, and that's what a lot of black men, they have to acknowledge. You don't even have to be a woman to be subjected to the hatred that women deal with, because if you are a man who is feminine, or even if you don't identify yourself as feminine, If you, in your own self, in your own identity, you are the manliest man that ever manned, but if your peers, if the greater society deems you inadequately masculine, then you become subjected to ridicule and attack. Now, if someone does not acknowledge Regardless of what your position is, even if you support, even if you are a racist, if you are a reasonable racist, if there is such a thing, you cannot deny the historical record, the evidentiary record. Racism, sexism, patriarchy are all a thing. They're all a thing. They all exist. They are all entrenched in the academic, the political, economic, cultural, in terms of the music, the arts, the architecture, public policies, the healthcare system, medical research, scientific research. And I'm not just talking about we need more scientists because more women scientists will not change this because the institutional practice, the American Medical Association. So massage noir, is the inevitable, I think, and natural byproduct. Because when you have two of the most hated conditions, that of being black and that of being a woman in this society, how can we not have massage noir? Not saying that it's something that should be tolerated or accepted, but it's nothing that should shock Anyone. It's like when they do uh, all these surveys, they'll send out a, uh, you know, and I've seen it happening in in real time. Even now, my wife, she got a Ph.D. She's educated and competent black woman. And when there's certain things she'll say to me sometimes. Diallo, you go in there and talk to that contractor, you go talk to that mechanic, you go and talk to this person, because when a man shows up, they, they they do shit differently, they talk differently. And because she is educated and very intelligent, she understands, you know, when someone is speaking down to her. And she points it out to me, and I look at it, and you know, maybe my response should be, ah, rah, my man, defend you. But a lot of times I'm just like, wow, look at this shit happening in real time before my eyes. It's more of amazement. Like, God, shit is real in the field, (laughs) you know? My protective instincts don't even kick in. It's just like, man, it's just what it is. And she was like, you know, she gets very mad and not just from racism, which we both have to deal with, but she, a lot of times, like I said, she was just like sending a man Send in a a man to go and deal with this, to talk to this person, because that way, at least you won't be getting talked down to or running around or explaining things to you like you're not a competent, capable, intelligent person. I had an aunt who was uh, very successful. And I'm not talking about successful in this era. I mean, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's actually not my aunt. It's my great aunt, my great-grandparents, youngest daughter. And she had a company, and it was uh, basically um, a uh, conglomerate of of black women. Um, She used to produce this magazine called Black Women in Money Management, And then um, she had a newsletter called Black Women and Money Management. And I think it was like the company that owns like several magazines that runs Newsweek and stuff. They came to her and said, we wanna give you a full cover to cover, glossy, full color magazine. We wanna make a magazine out of this little popular newsletter. And this is back when a newsletter came in the mail, not online. And she was like, great, you know, I can put out Black Women and Money Management and and uh full glossy cover and this is gonna be great this is long before old magazines and you know there weren't really any black woman published publication you had ebony and jet but that was pr- pretty much it and they told her you have to take black women off just put women in money management and so she's like scrap the deal and they were like whoa, whoa, whoa. And she's like i'm not even going to negotiate with you but even this woman this self-identified feminist when she started getting into certain ventures they literally went out and hired a white front man when behind the scenes it was black and asian women putting up the money it was black and asian women strategizing for for the for the company's uh, <clears throat> development whenever the <clears throat> the company had to go out and, and engage with the state or the the government in order for licensings and approval and contract whenever the company had to go and negotiate with with contractors and developers and, and bankers for loans. They literally put a white man on the payroll to just go into these places with a suit on and read the script. It's literally in Asia, they call it the white monkey where you put a white person up front and not just for other white people, but black people. Asian people, native people, when they see a white man in a suit with cufflinks, they're like, oh, the authority is here. The legitimacy is here. And so there's been a lot of black leaders, black people, entrepreneurs in the background who put up what what is called, and there's a really good play. It's here at the Chicago Goodman Theater. I went to see it called White Monkey. It's not a direct correlate, but this concept. This concept, white monkey. So, anyway, all that to say is, massage noir is a very real phenomenon. It is basically the convergence of racism, sexism, patriarchy, and misogyny that is directed towards, that is above and beyond anything that men, black men, or white women experience. It is beyond the racism that black men endure. It is beyond the sexism that white women endure. It is a convergence and a compounding. And it is present in every element and aspect of society. It is most prevalent in media, and that is the news media, that is the um, entertainment media, You know, entertainment media. It is so funny to me now that some 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 black women are are I the brother who called me gynocentric was so outraged and he would send me uh, also like songs or poems or some media content that a black woman would make that basically talked that oh niggas ain't shit these men ain't shit I'm fuck nigger free and they send me that. oh, you see that song by Megan Thee Stallion? Or you hear what Megan Thee Stallion said about men or black men, you hear what Glorilla said? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I did, but dude, we had a whole music genre. We got musical people that we are calling icons, Snoop Dogg, who showed up at award shows with black women on dog leashes. I mean, too short. What's my favorite word? I mean, I'm not even with the tit for tat. It's just like I can't believe you're gasping and clutching your pearls and collapsing on your daybed, swooning because some rapper said something, and now your your moral your moral compass is is fully engaged. I hear some dude in the comments losing his shit. <laughs> Man, it's a dude in the comments losing his shit that I would even acknowledge that massage noir is a thing, let alone try to discuss it or confront it. So massage noir is very real. Black women been saying it. And not just have black women been calling it out. I mean, the demonstration is there. The specific targeted hatred, diminishment, devaluation of black women for no other reason than they're black women. Now, whenever you find a misogynist, they'll be like, well, these females, they ain't got no respect. These females, they got eyelashes. I don't know what makes so many of these brothers so mad at black women. I know they tell me I talk to misogynists. And my thing is, I was a sexist. I was a homophobe. I was a lot of shit and people continue to engage with me. So I don't just be like, oh, you're a bad person. You have some fucked up views. I'm going to cut you off. I tend to continue to engage with these people. Now I call them out. I denounce them. I will expose them, but I don't just cut them off because like, man, if I had been cut off when I said some dumb shit, I'd just be sitting here talking to myself all alone. No family, no nothing. But anyway, it is very real. Two of the most dominant religions, well, the three most dominant religions in the world, but the two of the most dominant religions amongst black people, Christianity and Islam, have misogyny rooted in this dogma and racism. Misogyny is real. It is, it is not just an inconvenience for black women. It is not just a uh, unpleasantness for black women. It is literally proving to be deadly for black women. And whether we're talking about interpersonal violence, intimate partner violence and homicide, or we're talking about medical neglect, black women due to massage noir, due to the devaluation and hatred, abject hatred for black women. Black women, um, even though they have lower rates of breast cancer, They tend to get later diagnoses and the the physicians do not want to engage with um, treatment of black women's uh, ailments, chronic ailments. There is a belief that that black women uh, will not like such as uh, heart bypass when a black person has uh, heart failure or some type of cardiovascular disease. Whereas if it if it was um, another a white person they might say well we're gonna go in here and do a bypass we're gonna go in here and do this procedure to help reverse or abate the damage whereas with a black woman they would just give her a satin drug and send her home there are all these instances where black women complain about pain complain about discomfort complain about some type of physical ailment or impairment and the healthcare providers neglect or ignore or assume I have seen with my own eyes. I was at Truman Medical Center. I was at Truman Medical Center. A black woman came in and was like, I'm dying. There's something very wrong with me and I'm dying. And the, they put her on a gurney, they moved her in there. And she was like, will someone please listen to me? I am dying. And the nurses and the physicians was like, ma'am, calm down. She wasn't even yelling and screaming. She was just like, something's very wrong here. And they put on an oxygen mask on her and pushed her into the back corner of the emergency room. And 20 minutes later, she was gone. She didn't even have an IV. They didn't do blood. They didn't do the normal workout that they normally do. They like just another uh, 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 loud, aggressive black woman. I've seen myself that's why I'm not in the medical profession right now and I'm like well you know I really believe that shit oh you can change things from the inside I went and became a a radiographer and I'm like well it's like Dr. King said even if you a sweet street sweeper everybody can do their best and be your best self and you can do good and contribute to the good and when I got out of school I'm like I'm not just gonna run out here and get money I'm gonna go work at a prison infirmary, and I'm going to be in the prisons, and I'm going to help brothers in jail, and I'm going to provide the best services and be the best little street sweeper. And when I was in jail, worked in infirmaries, I'm like, I can't be a part of this. So I quit that job. They begged me to stay. I'm like, I got to go. And I really liked working in there, but I felt like I can't just be in such close proximity to ongoing atrocities, and I have no power. Everything I do, I, every effort I make, I'm thwarted. So I left there and went and worked in a, a, a county hospital and just more abuses, even worse. And when I worked in, my very first job out of x-ray school was in a prison infirmary. And the prisoners would come to me and be like, man, the treatment we get in this clinic Because it was basically like uh, they had built, it wasn't even a clinic, it was a hospital. Rikers Island was so huge that they had a full-on medical facility. I mean, they couldn't really do like invasive surgeries, but everything else. It was a full-on trauma center, full-on clinic, radiography suite, everything. It was old shit. It was like equipment from the 70s. It was old, clunky equipment, but it was there and it worked. But anyway... I, the brothers would tell me, incarcerated brothers, when they come to the clinic and they'd be there, sometimes they'd be there for days or weeks depending on their injury and the treatment, they'd be like, man, this is better than the outside. The way they treat us in this cl- jail clinic is better than the outside. And I would be like, oh, I appreciate that, brother. And I just thought the brother was like, you know, I appreciate it because you're in jail, you get to the clinic and somebody's engaging and treating you like a human being. So I thought it was hyperbole. I did not believe him. But that was my first job out of school. Other than that, I was a student in hospitals, but it was teaching and I was focusing on clinicals and stuff, I wasn't getting paid, I was there paying to go there. You know, getting my competencies out of the way so I can get my my paper and focus and studying every night for the National Board. But the first time I went to work at an actual hospital outside of the prison infirmary, it was worse. It, they really the 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 staffers, the administrators, a lot of the treatment of the patients was worse than how they treated the inmates at the prison infirmary. And I thought the dude was just saying words. I just thought he was just tr- trying to give a compliment and just hyperbole, like, uh, it's no way, healthcare for black people, in 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 the public, uh facilities out in the world can be worse. But anyway, I digress. Sexism is very real and you basically have two types of misogynoir as I define it. Um, and misogyny is the hatred of women, hostility towards women. The belief that women cause the downfall of man. Eve brought sin into the world. The belief that when a woman is menstruating, she is unclean. You don't want her cooking your food. I remember I was at an Asara set ritual. And after the ritual, they had this huge feast. And even though I didn't believe in all the, 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 the irrational, supernatural beliefs of the Asara set, they had really good music and really good vegan food. So whenever they would ha- announced the Asar Set Society, a lot of their rituals were just for the members and the practitioners and, and the classes. But they would have a lot of public. I used to eat at the Asar Set restaurant because, you know, they were vegan. So I went to the Asar Set ritual and I'm just there waiting for the food. And they had this big room. We're all sitting and everybody's trying to sit next to the cult leader, the Shechem or Shechem. And I'm sitting there and I get my food and they bring out the Shechem or Shechem, the leader, Ra'al Nefer, I'm in. They bring out his plate. And we're about to eat. And then a woman, another woman runs out. He takes like one or two bites of his food. This woman runs out and damn near slaps the fork out of his hand and snatches his plate up. And he's looking confused and I'm looking confused. Like what happened? Somebody tried to poison the leader. And so I didn't know what happened. They took his play back and he looked furious. And this is a guy, if you've ever been around the Asara set, the Shekham of is a very, he exudes a calm presence. Just a mellow dude. you know. As far as cult leaders go. If I had to be a cult member, I'd probably join that one. Right? But I found out later from a member, this guy who was a member, he changed his name and everything. He used to go to their retreats and, he was a full-fledged Saraset society member. What do he tell him? I'm like, what had happened? Did somebody try to poison uh Shechem? And he was like, no. One of his wives, I think he had seven at that time, one of his wives was menstruating. And she was preparing food in the communal kitchen. And she didn't know that she was menstruating. I guess she had went to the bathroom or something, and then her cycle had started. And so she runs out in the panics like, oh, Lord, I prepared the Shechem's food and I'm menstruating. And so then one of the senior wives was the one that ran out there and smacked the thing out of it and was like, oh, Lord. And so even in this Afrocentric black cult that believes in God and goddesses is still caught up on the uncleanliness. Judeo-Christian Islamic bullshit about women and the menstrual cycles and the eternal curse. And that shit is found Everywhere. It influences people to this day. But I say from massage noir, which is very real and it is killing black women. It is maiming black women. It is harming black children and it's harming the black community. You have what I call external massage noir that are people outside of our communities. White people, Asian people, Arab people non-black, non-white people, I mean non-black, non-African people who hate black women. And many of them, Andrew Tate's, many of these external anti-black womenists have a whole following of black people who follow and sanction and support their bullshit. But much, most of that most of the misogynists who hate black women, they don't tend, they tend to hate black people in general. There are a few who are just pure misogynists, M-noirs. Let's call them M-noirs as opposed to misogynists. But most of them, because they are also racist against black people in general, and their, their views and their hostile views are uh, saturated, You don't notice it, but there are a few people who've become worldwide celebrities, disrespecting black women. It's particular. What's that guy? Howard Stern. And that other dead motherfucker that came out and was like, oh, calling those black basketball players nappy-headed hoes. And people got outraged when that white man was called nappy-headed hoes. But I'm like, goddamn. He must be a ghostwriter for a lot of these rappers because the disparaging remarks he made are akin to the disparaging remarks i hear in hip-hop all the time but even more so as you have internalized or internal massage noir that means the hatred of black women Im- emanating from black people and it's black men and black women Shahrazad ali Hatred of black women for no other reason than them being black women is happens comes from other black women as well. So uh Shaharazad Ali has toured the world promoting the fact and I've read the book twice: The Black Man's Guide to Understanding the Black Woman. Back in the nineties. She was everywhere. She was on Donahue, she was touring the world, she was in every magazine. And men would show up and literally carry her on their shoulders. I literally, well not not literally. But men, I you would go to a Shahrazad Ali lecture and men would literally be there giving her standing ovation before she even spoke when she walked out on the stage. And read the book Black women are dirty, unclean. They are unworthy. The book, and it's not academic. It's not sourced. It's just her spewing some of the most hostile. Uh, uh, but she literally became a, a a star in the black community. And she even started make, trending on the mainstream. But then she got in trouble. <laughs> Men loved her. Men made this women. Men made Scheherazade Ali, but then Scheherazade Ali wrote a book about down-low men, about heterosexual masculine men who are in marriages or intimate relationships with women, but they're on the down-low. And that's when men turned on her. She turned her critical eyes and her, her gossipy scholarship against black men. And so that's when, brother, when she started calling straight, Heterosexual masculine men, and said a lot of these men are 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 gay and engaged in uh, um, secret gay relationships because they still wanna they don't wanna be looked at as feminine because the society hates. You can call a man a woman is an insult. And I'm not saying somebody, but no, not bisexual black men. These black men are not bisexual. They are heterosexual. But in terms of their lifestyles, in terms of their identities, in terms of what they present to the world, they are heterosexual, cisgender men in intimate, long term relationships with women. Married to women or in intimate relationships with women and having that's the down low, down low and bisexuality are not the same thing. Down low is is whatever your identity is, you are masking it from people who have a right to know. And when she was talking and, and spilling the sister's dirt and spilling tea, as we would say on black women, and when she was disparaging black women and just saying some of the most absurdest and hostile things possible to black women, she was everywhere, touring the world, book signings. And I'm the type of dude, you invite me over to the house, I'm going to look at your bookshelf. And everybody had a copy of The Black Man's Guide. She wrote another book called The Black Woman's Guide to Understanding the Black Men, but sisters were smart enough. That book, you will find it nowhere. <laughs> sisters like, like, uh, no thanks, Shahrazad Ali. I'm not taking a relationship. <laughs> yeah, these are old events. Yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, this has been around for a while. Yes, I am talking about back in the day, but that download book is relatively new. Right? So, but... There is this myth in terms of internalized. I'm just wanted to say there are black women, the outliers, and a lot of black men. If a black woman comes out, the pick me phenomenon is like, yeah, black women ain't shit. Black women ain't worthy. Black women are the worst. Black women bringing us down. The blah blah blah. When when that happens, these women become instant celebrities, no different than when you got a black conservative, right? You got a black conservative, the Candace Owens, Kanye type to come out and say some shit that validates and confirms racist and white folks will be like, see. But we all do it, don't we? We always try to find somebody from our opposing group, a group we oppose that agrees with us and use them to highlight the fact that we're, you know, Oh, see, this is a black woman who said what I said, and a racist will try to find a black person. This is a black person who agrees. Thomas Sowell. I always have white boys t- quoting Thomas Sowell with me. And I'm like, why are you quoting anybody to me? I don't debate with racists, I don't engage with racists. Racists coming to me in my in, online in my comment section quoting Kanye and shit. I just block them. I'm telling you, racist. I just, I don't, I don't even respond, but I see who they listening to, I see who they like. They used to quote Cosby till he got exposed. So black men, there is a very strong feeling in the black community that the rise of black women, that black women are raising up economically. Again, this guy who called me gynocentric, love sending me articles about grants for black women in business. And, 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 and scholarships specifically targeting black women, anything that targets to benefit black women. To black, many members of the black community, this is not a neutral act. They think anything that is deemed beneficial to black women is a diminishment or denial to black men. So they're like, they have all these scholarships for, for black women. Now, my son is thinking that he wants to teach. He wants to be an educator like his mama. He wanna be like his mama and be an educator. So now there is a special uh, um, support scholarship and a special track for black male teachers because there's a great deficit of black male educators. So first he he first he first wanted, everything he does is his mama because his mom's a psychologist too. So first he wanted to go into psychology and he took a few psychology classes his freshman year and was like, mm, the brain is whack of you, at first he wanted to be a veterinarian. and that guy before he even started college, you know, that's the child fireman, a rocket man astronaut vet. he wanted to work with animals and specifically small animals. <laughs> you know, and so anyway, as he was like, you know what, I think I want to teach, you know, as being a student myself and my own school experiences from my experiences with homeschooling and attending public school. And, you know, I see a lot of problems and I want to. That's where I want to work. I want to be a teacher and maybe even someday a professor. And so um, as he went into that, he. Uh, he um, started getting all these like, oh, a black man who's interested in being a teacher because ain't no money there, that's why. You know, white boys used to dominate teaching and they were like, no money there. Now they all in the tech sector and finance. But anyway, so he started getting all these scholarships and all these type of people, and all these organizations are sending him letters of black man who's interested in teaching. We need more black men in education. And I've never encountered Anybody that well, all this for the black man, giving this to the black man, blah, 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 blah. But I have seen on several occasions, I got the receipts, that dudes are like, I had some guy, this other guy, that was in my box that was just sending me all these links saying black women are getting all this stuff, black women get all these set-asides, black women from the system. And they don't even get mad at the people who give the grants, who fund the grants, who, who, who write the grants, who, who implement the policy. They get mad at the recipients as if black women went in there into a boardroom or into some Senate state or, or federal Senate and kicked in the door and was like, give me all these benefits and don't give nothing to the brothers. And I'm like, even if you mad about all these set-asides for black women in business, black women entrepreneurs, black women uh, uh, scholarships and grants, even if you mad about it, the sisters ain't the ones writing it, funding it, and controlling it. So if you don't even want black women to have, what they get mad at black women. I'm not speaking from speculation. There is a strong current that progress for black women means deficits and losses for black men. There are black men and women who feel that way, who articulate this. Idiots in the comments right now, black women. look at this, y'all think I'm joking black women are in a superior position today than black men and these same motherfuckers what did tariq nasheed say slavery was easier for black women than it was for black men slavery was easier because a black woman could give up some pussy and get to get get more from the master and the black man didn't have that option Now, Tariq Nasheed, who puts out documentaries, who's opened up museums, who comes around all over the black can say some shit like that and we let it pass. So we have internalized massage noir, black women and black men, but again, the full on indoctrination system pushes this. And to a, and there are brothers who now it ain't just about money. If you acknowledge massage noir, Without saying shit about black men, without saying shit about the homicides, the brutality, the incarceration, the the abandonment, you can say absolutely nothing about the struggles that confront black people in general and black men in particular. But the moment you say massage noir, they automatically thinking and run, their mind goes to, you're discounting what black men go through. I say black women, black men. This competitive nature. That shit is dysfunctional. It is corrupt. I've come on here several times and I talk specifically to and about black men, about what's happening to black men, uh, 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 our issues, our uh, our dehumanization, I will talk about any prostate cancer. I will get on here and talk about black men's issues and go look at the comment section. It's all on record. And you don't find sisters in there, well, black women this, black women that, black women this, black women. But I say black women, misogyny, uh, sexism. Whoa, 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 brothers lose this shit. I mean, it's no different on, I've done this for several years. I'm done doing it. It's old now. But on Father's, on, on, on uh, Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, I will make a post saying happy Mother's Day to single fathers. I want to send out my love and support to all the black fathers who have been abandoned by egg donors. All these egg donors. Happy Mother's Day to single fathers and, 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 and middle finger to all these egg donor women who didn't step up and take care of their responsibility. Happy, fathers, happy Mother's Day to single black fathers. I post that on social media, Twitter. I got tens of thousands of followers, and 100% of the time, the sisters either ignore it or they think it's funny. 100% of the time, I've never had a black woman come on and say this is our day outrage and what not once. But then, coming Mother's Day, I do the same thing. Happy uh, Father's Day, Happy Father's Day, because Mother's Day come first. Happy Father's Day to all the single mothers brothers loser, this is our day Shit is weird sexism is real misogynoir is real and things are getting worse for women even though y'all looking at billboards and all this things are getting worse like I said it's just not people having negative attitudes it's not just people uh, 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 preferring to date white women. I prefer, I like, I don't like black girls not willing to date black women as if that's a deficit. You know, I shout out, I commend you. If you don't like black women and you refuse to date black women, I believe that you are providing a vi- a vital service to the community. If you don't have love and appreciation and attraction to black women by all means, I don't get I don't understand this whole phenomenon of getting mad at black men who date outside the race. Go with God. I don't understand that. That's a good thing, because I sure don't want no black woman that has any type of hostility or negativity or dislike or 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 or, or, or re- revulsion for black men. What the fuck? I want her to be dating me or any other black man for. Let the black people who want black people have black people and the rest of y'all go y'all way. And we should be opening the doors for them and allowing them to go freely and unobstructed. Go. But things are getting worse. As I said, it's not just about feelings and attitudes. Black women are being harmed and even losing their lives. A lot of this is and, and I'm running out of time. I did wanna talk about some, uh, I'll have to come back. I think I'll talk about this on uh, Wednesday. We're gonna pick this up Wednesday because I wanna talk about maladaptations and some proposed solutions about it. But I mean, this whole time, I'm just trying to argue that this is a real phenomenon that harms everybody who can be identified as black African people. Massage noir is not limited to harming black women. It harms our community collectively, and it even harms men in several ways. So, oh, that's right. But I gotta wrap this up, y'all. Um, we will pick it up again Wednesday night on the Rational Radical Show. We will um, do a part two of confronting m- massage noir. Um, our host, guest host, will be Skip Coon, who is another gynocentric simp. I <laughs> mean, so if you want to listen to the, a couple of gynocentric simp's on that show please uh join us and i know i don't think misogyny sexism is an issue for black women that black women should be talked about i think black men we need to start talking about this and dealing with the issues that confront black women specifically does not diminish or harm or detract from the issues that uh confront black men, dealing with issues that confront black youth. There are issues specific to black youth. There are issues that are specific to our black elders. There are issues that are specific to our black LGBTQ plus community. There are issues that are specific to black disabled people and acknowledging some of these particular targeted communities will only strengthen, strengthen our larger struggle for justice. You cannot have a liberation or justice struggle that tells any member of the community you have to be quiet about the issues that target you specifically and sacrifice yourself for the greater good. That is not a good thing. That is not positive And it doesn't work. The only viable struggles are ones that allow a space for everyone. Every revolutionary, successful revolutionary movement had women's associations, youth factions, elders' councils that acknowledge the diversity within the struggle, strengthens the struggle. The fact that there are a myriad of conflicting and converging issues within a larger black liberation struggle. Black liberation and black revolution is a womanist movement. Women's liberation is must be a cornerstone of. African liberation if it ain't no women's liberation there will be no black liberation but we didn't even get into uh, abortion and where that's going and, and 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 but anyway my time is up uh we're gonna head out with uh um Lady's Song by Gil Scott Heron if you if you haven't heard this song go look up Lady's Song it's like Gil Scott saying if you got nothing good to say just let her go on her way um, and I will see you guys Wednesday night Rational Radical Show uh, with with of course yours truly Bro Diallo and and my guest host uh, uh, Skip Coon. So anyway, peace and I appreciate y'all. And again, like I said, this is uh lady song by it's supposed to be yes, ladies song by uh, Gil Scott-Heron who was a true womanist. And I also want to talk about f- feminism. My criticisms of feminism and my opposition to to the, the the drive for equality, gender equality, the whole concept of equality has been greatly corrupted and warped. So uh, we can do better than equality. We can have liberation. Um, and how often this the, the drive for oppressed people to be equal to their those who oppress them can sometimes warp and undermine their the the justice, not advance it. But anyway, ladies, I'm about this to just here. I I wrote this song for a very special lady friend of mine.